Welcome back to So You Think You Can Fanon in the All Guardsmen Party reading series where we read every single letter in the All Guardsmen Party pseudo fanfic but mostly just a tabletop RPG reenactment slash novelization in the green text format. I'm the host this time. My name's Matt. I'm joined by two homeless people. Homeless. Oh my god. Homeless. Wait, what? Yeah, I have a that home. guy's that guy's Jacob. And the other one's Sergio. Don't forget. Are you housed me? I was not I I I you you know for a fact that I was not homeless at least for 3 days, 3 or 4 days. Listen, that is, that I, is I was, true, I suppose. Listen, I'm homeless like one time and now I'm I'm now I'm the homeless guy apparently. That's just my that's my thing now. I'm the homeless guy. I, I will never forget when Sergio saw uh, Biggest Joe in my basement, the, the beanbag, and he was like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, and he just fell onto it like an angel went to heaven. Uh-huh. I should uh, buy one speaking for my of, house, because I don't own one. We should, uh, we should talk you about should. the fact that um, anyone mm-hmm. who's listening, if they're not following us on whatever platform they're listening on or subscribe to us on YouTube, they should do that right now. Well, no, we got to read it first. Then they'll then they'll know if they want to. Well, no, because we have to do the we have to do the call to action at the beginning of the episode, or else they'll forget. Oh yes, okay. If you decide you like us later in the episode as you're listening to it, please go to our link tree where we have magical things all available. We've got merch. We've got affiliate links for a terrible book series called Chain of Memories. We have and, places to listen to us. And we're on the push to ten thousand con- like concurrent views on the entire podcast. We are we are a thousand away. We just hit nine. We just hit. We just we just we just hit over nine thousand views. What? There's no way that's right. No, it's right. It is yeah. right. Yeah, we're glad to have had so much viewership, and we hope everybody keeps on listening to us. And uh, because of uh, all the good viewership, we are going to uh, shill by reading our most popular series right now, All Guardsmen Party. True. No, wait, I can't tell them that. We have to be pure in the eyes of the audience. But also listen to our other episodes, too, um, so we can get more views on everything. They're not as good as this stuff, but, you know, they're still fun. Some of them are. Go listen to like our reviews and stuff. The Howie Fan and the SCP Seven Thousand Six live play featuring us and Sean Saxon, friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. do that. But before um, you do that, listen to this episode because this is yeah. going to be a good one. Still listen to this one though, please. Unless you haven't listened to the other All Guardsmen Party episodes, I guess. Then go listen to those. Um. Yeah, but you you know you don't have to. Well, let's not keep them waiting any longer. Let's go ahead and get into the next episode of the adventures of the All Guardsmen Party, the Xenotech Heresy. And I am going to break the chain of oppression. I'm going to break your chain of slavery, Sergio. I'm going to start us off this time. How scandalous. Okay. Sergio has said nothing for two minutes. This scares me. <laughs> he said okay. I said okay. Okay. Okay, I didn't hear you say okay. Okay? Okay. 
once again, we begin with the uh, sexy Inquisitor lady saying that she wants you for the Imperial Inquisition. And the Xenotech heresy begins. Junior Engineer Jim had spent the last two days discussing the problem with Junior Engineer Hannah. Neither of them had managed to think up any clever solutions, and there was no one else to turn to. Asking the senior tech priests for advice was right out, since they were half the problem anyway, and old Bill just didn't understand the issue. In the end, it was decided that their only option was to approach the problem directly. Which is to say, Jim would approach the problem directly. Hannah refused to go anywhere near that section of the ship. During his next nightly 75-minute organic recuperation period, Jim visited the storage room across from the Gellerfield generator. Remembering that it was Tuesday, and after 1,800 hours, he bypassed the first two doors and made his way to the third where the mechanical keypad he'd expected had been replaced by a data slate and a piece of yellow paper. Jim tried to ignore the Claymore mine mounted underneath the slate as he read the note. It was labeled, Prove you are not a servitor. Or orc. A second smaller note said, Case sensitive. It took two tries to get the illegible series of handwritten letters entered into the slate. Luckily, the mine had only armed, and the slate had instructed him not to move after the first mistake. Jim thought it was rather unfair to expect someone to be able to tell the difference between a lowercase and capital S. When the door finally opened, the engineer made his way down a, a zigzagging corridor of sandbags. As he walked, he idly wondered where they'd managed to find sand on a void ship, then decided he was much happier not knowing. When Jim came around the last bend, he found three of the men he'd come to see piling up pieces of burnt meat and metal into a wheelbarrow. He ignored what looked like the remains of an unfortunate maintenance servitor and hesitantly asked if the interrogator was present. Or maybe even Doc. I'll go next. I'll go next. I'll go next. No, we're break. If we're breaking the order, we're breaking the order. We're breaking the chains of oppression. So. Yeah, screw you, Sergio. We're fighting the power. The shortest and most a- amicable of the f- three troopers, Nubby, explained that Sarge was working with the adepts, and Doc was staying in the med bay on account of his legs not working. Several complex and undeniably obscure gestures accompanied this, either conveying Nubby's option opinion of the adepts or what he thought Doc's actual reason for staying in the med bay was. Jim wasn't sure which. Twitch interrupted the show to ask Jim if he if he was here about the servitor because that was entirely not Twitch's fault. He clearly explained that no one was to attempt to clean or do maintenance on this room without an escort. Also, sharing access codes, even if it was with a servitor, was a severe violation of proper security protocol. And actually, change that to especially if it was with a servitor. Those damn things couldn't be trusted. Jim should know. He'd been there and seen what the psychotic murder machines had done the second they got the chance. Jim shuddered at the memories of Twitch's rant dredged up, then turned to the third guardsman. While the other two had been talking, Tink had been having a quiet, one-sided argument with the small Xenotech data slate he was holding. Occasionally, he'd switch from swearing at the controller to to cooing at the hovering disc in front of him as it tried. With mixed success, to pick pieces of servitor up with its small servo arm. Jim summoned every scrap of courage he could muster and walked up to the gov- goggle-wearing guardsman. Tink, 
This tech heresy needs to stop. If you don't destroy that un- unholy Xenos contraption, I will... I... I... Uh... Uh... Uh, please don't kill me. Tink pressed the humming plasma gun, which Jim swore he hadn't been holding a second ago, a little harder to the engine seer's chest. In the most threatening voice he could muster, Tink asked, What did you call my waifu? The All Guards of Party and the Xenotech Heresy. Nubby came to Jim's rescue before long. He carefully pushed the plasma gun to the side and reminded Tink that Sarge had banned the W word. Furthermore, this was Jim, the broest of the cog bros. He was definitely on the do not blow in half with the plasma gun list and hadn't meant to insult Tink's favorite toy. There was undoubtedly a reason behind his request, and if everyone would just settle down, this could all be sorted out without Sarge yelling at anyone. Tink grumbled about it not being a toy. She was a DX-9F exploratory drone, configured for stealth operations and tech interfacing, and her name was Hannah 2.0. Jim went blank as he processed this, then started sputtering in a mix of shock and revulsion. Nubby groaned and waved a hand at Twitch, who obliged by pegging the ranting trooper in the back of the head with a chunk of servitor. Both parties were hauled off and seated in front of one of the several whiteboards that had gone missing from the official briefing rooms. Jim boggled at the list on the board as the nubby forced a surly tank to read off the last six items on it. Sarge's Xenotech rules. One, keep your stupid mouth shut. Two, if you want to use a weapon, it must be disguised as a las gun or something. This includes your plasma hybrid monstrosity. This drone is a secret. It does not leave the barracks unless it's in a box or you can make it look like a servo skull. Three. Oh, sorry, that was three. Four. Sarge will be the judge on whether or not the drone actually looks like a servo skull. Five. The drone is not a she. Six. The drone does not have a gender at all. Very progressive. Seven. The drone is not named Hannah or Theo Whatsit. Eight. The drone is not named after anyone, regardless if we met them. Nine. The drone is named Spot. It is a good name and is actually sort of witty. All complaints must be handwritten and submitted in person to interrogator Sarge. Ten. Anyone who violates these rules or actually submits a complaint will be made to suffer in ways they cannot possibly imagine. After the base rules were re-established and Tink had accepted that no one, no one was going to be allowed to shoot anyone unless it was Twitch and there was an orc attack, Nubby asked Jim what the problem was. If he was here about our recent acquisitions, it should be obvious that we had the situation in hand. Everyone was aware of the Mechanicus's little rules about Xenotech and would be keeping a low profile. So no worries. None of us were ready for the explosion that the phrase little rules triggered. The young engineer leapt out of his seat and started pacing back and forth, frantically explaining that this wasn't a matter of laws or protocol. This was dogma. See, cogboys tend to be a little more religious when it comes to technology than most guardsmen, which isn't surprising. They're called tech priests, after all. But the exact nature of their religion is a little complex. Some of them loved all tech, especially the old and complex stuff, and would go around worshipping random things they dug out of space hulks. Others were all forgetting and keeping their technology working as well as possible, or maybe even pulling apart things to see how they work. Some cogboys, though, 
were completely focused on stamping out any piece of tech, no matter how amazing, that didn't originate from Mars. According to Jim, about half the senior tech priests on the ship fell into that last category. Jim claimed that these weren't the sort of guys who just destroy a device they suspected of being Xenos made. They'd also convert anyone who'd ever used it into servitors, then push the servitors into a plasma reactor. Nubby suggested that this was a bit of an exaggeration. The Inquisition always got a fair bit of leniency on this stuff. <clears throat> Didn't that interrogator with the big hat have a sword that whispered at anyone nearby without, about drinking their blood? What about Sister What's-Her-Face, who had a stern, stern guard pattern bolter that she'd looted from a dead marine? And no one commented on the fact that the guy running recruitment had actually purchased a medium-sized tropical island with the funds he'd been embezzling over the last few decades. Certainly a little xenotech could be swept under the same rug those guys were using. Jim just shook his head and pointed out that those were all things that the Inquisition typically had jurisdiction over. Believe it or not, hardcore orthodox tech priests were a lot less forgiving. Jim suggested that as a baseline, we imagine a 300-year-old redemptionist preacher. Now combine that general cranky outlook with the fact that the orthodox, orthodox tech priests on the ship had been forced to attempt to accept that most of its critical engineering staff were not members of the machine cult. These guys were itching to put someone in their place. If anyone caught their attention with a clear case of tech heresy, their lifespan would be measured in minutes. So Jim was asking, begging really, for us to give up our suicidal fascination with Xenotech. Everyone went quiet for a while as they processed this. Tink frowned at the drone controller. Twitch pondered how many servitors those priests commanded. And Nubby weighed the value of his life against that that of a crate of Tau pulse weapons. All of us looked at each other and came to a silent agreement. Nubby thanked Jim for his warning. It really opened up our eyes to the situation. He promised that we would be very careful not to show their new toys to any tech priests. Except for Jim and Hannah. Oh, and those guys we couldn't remember the names of. But that had been pretty cool. Cool, but it had been pretty cool for Cogboys. Jim had sank into his seat and looked like he was about to start crying. While Twitch and Tink went back to cleaning, Nubby did his best to console the young engineer. Eventually, his Weasley arguments about how unlikely the senior tech priests were to find out, if no one ratted to them, that is, calmed Jim down. From there, it wasn't hard to convince him to help with the Disguise the Xenotech project, given how much damage a minor war located across the hall from the Gellerfield generator would cause. Nubby argued it could be even be budgeted under preventive ship maintenance. The engineer grudgingly sat down at the workbench Tink had been using for the project and started tinkering. He didn't even pause to question the origins of the pile of slightly used las guns or the large crate of assorted human and animal skulls that had been provided for camouflage material. He made some real progress and was even managing a nearly civil technical discussion with Tink when Sarge came back. Sarge, who spent at least 20 hours over the last few days trying to fill the gaps in his team left by Doc's injury and the infiltrator's death, took Jim's presence as a sign from the Emperor. Before the night was over, the paperwork was in order and the engineer was officially seconded to us for the duration of the upcoming mission. Jim was not exactly happy about this. Next image is funny because it's Han Solo saying he's got a bad feeling about this. Which, I mean, really you could put that for every image for every All Guardsmen Party text post ever? Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. Okay. <clears throat> that upcoming mission was a bit of a mystery. Our little op on the Tau border worlds had gone 
relatively well. We'd foiled a rather convoluted plot to get neutral worlds in bed with the Tau Empire and killed the raiders that had been terrorizing the area. At least we'd thought that the rogue trader we'd doomed to an incredibly gruesome death was behind all the missing colonies and stations. Turned out his band of pirates didn't quite fit the bill, though. It's not like they hadn't had it coming. No one but Doc felt guilty about trapping those mercenary bastards in the warp with no Gellerfield, but according to our report, whoever was wiping out the locals didn't leave bodies. Not theirs, and not their victims either. That was pretty ominous, especially coupled with the fact that a few of the other inquisitorial teams in our low expedition had been on those worlds. None of them had sent out any messages. They had just vanished with the civvies. Yeah, very ominous. All those guys had been the same as us. Small teams of underfunded, underinformed, and under everything else inquisitorial agents sent out to look for trouble or do something for Oak. We were definitely the last people to suggest that they should have been able to step some sort of colony eradicating doom thingy. Stop some, stop it, not step. <clears throat> but we'd have expected them to at least get something out. Even if it was just an astropath message saying, shit, Tyranids, or... I feel the warp overtaking me. It is a good pain. They didn't, though. Which meant that whatever had gotten them was even weirder than usual. All we had to go on was the information the occurrence border's captain had scrounged for us when the teams had missed their pickups. He had a rough map of which systems had been wiped out for sure, and a few notes from the one colony he'd personally inspected. That's how we knew he was worried. The captain didn't like going down to planets. He said they were untidy. You know what else is untidy? Your mom! The disappearances charted a sort of winding path through the region, starting on the fringe of Tau space and twisting in the general direction of the Imperium. That was the whole reason we were involved in this mess. None of us gave a shit if a bunch of Xenos got killed or really cared. I just lost my place while reading. Don't, don't ask me how that happened. Um... Really cared how much or cared much about the fringe world, but if a pattern continued, some valuable imperial worlds were going to get wiped out. So Oak had mandated that everyone out here was to drop what they were doing and figure out what the hell was going on. The occurrence border had picked up all the teams it could reach in time and was doing its best to follow the trail before it got cold. Sarge spent a lot of time working with the adepts and the other teams to figure out what we were in for before we ran into it. Sarge sat down with the captain, whom he got along rather better than the other interrogators, and had gone over the whole thing from top to bottom. Unfortunately, they were all, all they were able to figure out was that the path mostly followed decent warp routes, which told us that whoever was driving was probably using a warp drive, or they just felt like going that way. The captain's brief fidget to the Purge colony had turned up some more useful info. He described the place as being mostly intact, but with no living creatures or dead. There was some battle damage, but the place had just been nuked from orbit, and he said it didn't look like the fight had lasted long. Sarge tried to pick his brain for details about the battle damage, hoping to pin down what sort of weaponry had been used. The captain wasn't much help, though. All he was able to tell us was that no one had used macro cannons, lances, torpedoes, or nova cannons. Oh, and someone had dropped several million tons of powdered silicate and organic matter on this place. That struck him as interesting. A few probing questions revealed that this mysterious substance was, in fact, just the ground. Bloody spacers. It was eventually decided that the only way we'd get anything useful was by visiting one of these worlds and looking around ourselves, preferably after the mysterious purple people disappearing thing had left. Until then, anyone could do was wildly speculate. So we did what any red-blooded guardsman would do in that situation. We started a betting pool. 
At first, it was the usual small wages between us, everyone sticking to their pet theories and so on. But Nubby smelled profit, and the first the thing quickly grew to ludicrous size. Within a few days, both uh, both the other teams, the entire engineering department, and half the ship's officers were in on it. There had even been a runner from the Navigator Sanctum carrying bets from him and the Astropath, neither of whom had ever or been told about the pool. This sparked a lengthy debate about whether those guys could see the future and if that should invalidate their bets. In the end, Nubby held that if they could, then they'd have been able to avoid being assigned to the occurrence border, so he took their money like everyone else's. There wound up being only three popular bets since various factors wound up disqualifying. How does an astropath have money? How does an astropath have money if he's like wired into the ship? He doesn't work. He's like a living computer. (laughs) <laughs> what does he use that money on? Fucking dialysis machines? Do you think Food? he hires, like, other soldiers to suck his dick while he's not directing <laughs> everything? <laughs> I'm just I imagining the, the ship freaking out because the astropaths is getting his knob schlopped. <laughs> Why are we? Why are we initiating warp jump? What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> why is the astropath moaning? What is happening? Can you imagine having sex with an astropath? You you touch his dick and you like see the I cosmos. Think, I don't think there are any orifices to touch. Continue, Sergio, please. <laughs> no one was up only being what. Uh, so three popular bets since various factors wound up disqualifying most of the candidates no one was willing to put money on it being some sort of human force on account of how Oak would have known that there was a rogue inquisition fleet out there and chaos warbands or cults were never this tidy on the Xeno side the Tau didn't fit Necrons tended to stick to their tomb worlds Tyranids either let planet barren or full of Tyranids and even Twitch couldn't figure out how it could be orcs that just lets warpy stuff Eldar and some really obscure type of Xenos Sarge and Doc had their money on some sort of crazy warp shit, either a greater demon or some sort of massive fucking phenomena or whatever. They didn't have any real reason behind the theory, but since it was the scariest thing anyone could think of, it had a lock on the pessimist vote. Outside of the pool, all the adepts who knew about that warpy shit were going through the record trying to figure out what could be done if they were right. Meanwhile, after Twitch gave up on the orcs, he'd gone down to the adepts and gotten a list of all the types of Xenos that lived down in the fringe. He didn't sleep for three days after that, and eventually had to be tranked by Doc to go the fuck to sleep. Well, by his girlfriend, Doc wasn't in any condition to chase down Twitch on account of the, well, the whole wheelchair thing. Anyway, after he was pried out of his hole, Twitch made a fairly strong case for some obscure Xeno's horrors being behind everything. Even Tinkinard team's adapts threw in with him, either because they believed him or just thought it was good odds to play the field. The final popular bet was the OCD Eldar Raiders theory. Nubby and Fumbles had started that one by hotly denying that it was even a possibility. The Nile had come right after they'd received the Navigator's bet, and even if most folks couldn't figure out why the fuck the Eldar would be disappearing colonies, they knew what a rigged game looked like. Nubby hadn't gotten any sympathy from the rest of us when he'd complained about how even the odds were getting. Between the pool... Tank and Jim's projects and Sarge's scramble to prep for the mission. Doc was the only one with a lot of free time. 
Of course, that was primarily because he was stuck in a wheelchair until his leg and gut wound finished healing. He spent most of that time in the med bay acting as a handy, capable nurse for his girlfriend, and despite Nubby's constant barrage of tasteless jokes, seemed to be coping with his temporary crippling fairly well. We mostly left him to it, since we were... Since we risked death by either sap overdose or angry hospitaler every time we visited. Twitch nearly lost an ear to a thrown scalpel when we kidnapped the poor boy by for a night of recreational drinking. While Doc wasn't too bothered about his injury, it was a constant source of worry for the rest of us. Not because we thought he wouldn't get better, but because the captain had spotted a world in the right direction that had gone dark and was taking us there for a little reconnoitering? What is that supposed to mean? Reconnoitering? Um, like reconnaissance? Uh, re- That's what I'd imagine. Re- reconnoiter. Yeah, it's, it's reconnoitering. Oh, reconnoitering. Reconnoitering. Our ETA was a few days, and Doc's recovery is going to be a matter of weeks or months. <clears throat> so it looks like we'd be going into the field without a medic. Is someone echoing, or am I crazy? Did you hear it, Matt? Um, I'm trying. I don't don't hear it. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm crazy. Sergeant Jim tried to convince us that the many skull they'd requisitioned was just as good, but we weren't buying it. Those those things are just as unsettling to look at, or just are just unsettling just to look at. They're a million times worse when you've been shot and and one's coming at you with a buzzsaw. Everyone was feeling a little nervous when we came out, finally came out of the warp and confirmed that the nearby planet was emptier than a Munitorum agent's heart. Those of us who weren't creeped out by the prospect of nosing around at a freshly depopulated world were wondering if we were about to lose three weeks' pay in the pool. While everyone worried and prepped their gear, Sarge attended to one final meeting with the captain and the two other interrogators. Now, these guys weren't bad sorts, at least by officer standards, but neither of them really played well with others. One was a blonde battle-axe of an ex-cleric, and the other was a serious agent fellow with a creepy sword that no one commented on. Battle-axe had been drumming up recruits, and Sword Guy had been trouble-stabbing some problem for Oak before the new orders came in. Neither of them was very happy about being reassigned mid-mission. Despite their unhappiness, they treated Sarge well enough that their adepts had worked with ours on the data processing, but no one was willing to accept anyone but themselves as the mission's leader. That includes Sarge, who immediately recognized two people who wouldn't blink at sacrificing a few guardsmen. Since no one was feeling overly cooperative, the basic plan was for each team to send a separate party to the dead planet and look for clues. If anyone found anything interesting, they'd call for the adepts, and if they found hostiles, they'd call for reinforcements from the ship or other teams. It was the most efficient plan, but without some clear and present danger, it was the best we were going to get. The final meeting between these three interrogators and the captain was to determine who would go where on the planet and how much support the occurrence border would provide. The planet was sort of shitty. It probably had a population of only five or six million before it got wiped out. Battleaxe called dibs on what passed for the local center of government, and Sword Guy wanted to take his team to the largest commercial shuttle port. Sarge carefully considered the remaining options, then ignored the pointed suggestions that he inspect the planet's only military base in favor of the smallest shuttle port on the planet. Sarge carefully deflected their questions about his choice with 
vague comments about hunches and feelings. He managed to hold out until the captain got really fucking annoyed and forced the discussion to move along. It was agreed that the occurrence border would hang in stationary orbit and handle communications while each team was given their own shuttle. The emergency support options consisted of the remaining two shuttles loaded with all the armsmen the captain thought he could reasonably spare in the ship's lances. Everyone was reminded that the last time those lances were used at that range they'd missed by 17 fucking kilometers and had to be walked while still firing at full power and jiggling a lot to their target. The captain recommended not asking for any precision strikes, then called an end to the meeting. Sarge gathered us up in the shuttle bay for a final briefing before we went down. The ground team consisted of everyone except the adepts, who would be hanging out in the comm room and analyzing whatever we sent to them, and Doc, who was only in there to wish us luck before he went to get the medbay ready for whoever got shot at this time. Hannah and old Bill were there, too, mostly to remind us that Jim was considered essential to the smoothish running of the ship, and it would go poorly for us if he came back in anything less than factory fresh condition. Our briefing started with Sarge acknowledging that randomly walking around a deserted planet looking for clues was about the stupidest way of gathering information invented. This stole Tink and Nubby's thunder uh, and shut them up for long enough for Sarge to explain our real mission, which was to hang out within support range of the other two teams. If something was going to try to kill nosy people, it'd probably start with them, and we'd be in a good position to swoop in and save the day or make a clean escape. All we had to do was stay near the shuttle and keep out of trouble while the people who actually knew what a clue looked like did all the hard work. It was a very good plan. The cherry on top was the location Sarge had picked for us. He'd chosen it for three reasons. First, he figured that running around a military facility that was pr- probably filled with particularly advanced, act- parti- partially activated defenses or undetonated ordnance was an incredibly stupid. Was incredibly stupid. I can't fucking read today. And no other locations really had anything tailored to our skills. Secondly, it was pretty much between the other teams, which would make supporting them easier. Finally, the planet's climate was cold and wet, and that tropical island shuttle port was the only credible location that wasn't currently being rain snowed or sleeted on so yeah we were going there because it looked like it would be a pleasant day at the beach doc and his girlfriend looked vaguely jealous as we boarded the shuttle we'd offered a we'd been offered a pilot to our shuttle but two of us were qualified to fly the thing and we preferred having someone we really trusted in charge of our only transport also nubby pointed out that they might add us out to the other teams Tink and Jim had brief, had a brief heated debate about who was the pilot and co-pilot which ended poorly for both of them when their slap fight over the joystick, knocked over Sarge's recaf. Aside from the brief excitement provided by Sarge chewing out the techies, the ride down was fairly boring. Even the view out the window was dull. The top half of the planet was white with snow, and the bottom half was mostly water or clouds. And even Nubby couldn't find any obscene-looking continents. Twitch tried to liven things up by speculating on what type of Xenos horrors had abducted everyone and what speakable things were being done to them, but stopped when Fumbles looked like he was going to start crying. Our first look at the shuttle port confirmed Sarge's genius. The place was obviously built as some sort of vacation resort for rich merchants. A quick flyover turned up a complete lack of people, vehicles, or Xenos monstrosities, and an environment scan revealed nothing more dangerous than a chance of sunburn. So we sent... We sat down right there on the beach. There was a final comm check and reiteration of the ground rules. Then everyone went off to enjoy themselves. Now, you may be getting the impression that we weren't taking our mission as seriously as it warranted. And anyone from the other teams would have certainly said so. There's a difference between not being serious and not being effective enough. And we fully intended to complete the objectives we set for ourselves. Since in the eyes of our main job was to be ready to save the other team's bacon, everyone stayed within sprinting distance of the shuttle and Jim kept his engines warmed up. In def- 
in deference to the fact that this was a potentially hostile territory. Everyone outside the shuttle stuck in groups, and Twitch worked with Jim to set up a rudimentary perimeter around the LZ. Finally, Spot, the Wonder Drone, was feeding everything it saw to our adepts, and we were definitely keeping our eyes open as we strolled around the beach and expected all the bungalows. Admittedly, Nubby was the one doing most of the inspecting, but it's not like anyone expected us to find anything anyway. Sarge picked through a few beach chairs until he found one that didn't have a big, vaguely human-shaped hole in it and made himself comfortable. He lounged in the sun and listened to the other team's calm traffic. From the sound of it, Battleaxe had already spotted the silhouettes and didn't to be pointed towards them, probably didn't want to be pointed towards them. The burly non-com laid back and idly watched as Twitch built some truly impressive sandcastles. Jim elected to stay on the shuttle, claiming that sand was bad for his metal bits, but sent out a few servo skulls and chatted with Tink over the comm. The techie had yanked off the two grok skulls his drone had been encased in and was nauseating the adepts trying to watch the vid feed by racing it against Jim's skulls. And they started arguing over whether ramming was allowed and if busting through walls should count as a penalty, Sarge made them switch to hide and seek. While everyone else stayed near the shuttle, Nubby grabbed Fumbles and went to do an exhaustive search of the nearby buildings. At first, it was for small and valuable items that might need a new home. But after a while, Nubby realized that he was being unprofessional. A few minutes later, he and Fumbles had acquired a wheelbarrow and switched to searching for large and valuable items that might need a new home. Fumbles happily pushed the barrow and learned several important lessons about the difference between looting and recycling. Everything was going splendidly, and Sarge was considering taking a nap when Twitch screamed <laughs> and dove into a freshly dug sand trench. Despite the amount of shit the rest of us gave Twitch over his paranoia, we all trusted his spotting skills with our lives. Within, the, within seconds, Sergeant Tink landed in the trench next to him, and over, overhead, the drone engaged its stealth field. On the far side of the shuttle, Nubby and Fumbles dropped their loot and got uh, ready to either flunk or sp- flank or sprint to safety. The only person who didn't respond immediately was Jim, who poked his head out of the shuttle's door to see what the fuss was about. Sarge screamed at the cogboy to get back into cover and drove the point home by chucking a nearby entrenching tool at the open hatch. <laughs> The shovel barely missed Jim's head, and he scrambled back a little with a little yelp while the rest of us tried to spot whatever Twitch had seen. When nothing happened over the next few minutes, Sarge started ordering Tink, Jim, and Fumbles to scan the area. Before he could manage to finish the order, a buzzing voice cut in and told us to remain in your current position and cease communication. Your vessel will be yielded to our service. Everyone pegged the voice as a tech priest of some variety. Everyone else with an augmented voice box would have at least tried to sound normal. This guy sounded like a cross between a garbage disposal and an opera singer. Everyone was still processing this development when Tink's knee-jerk response kicked in and he screamed, Jam it up your metal ass, techno-fascist, into his combied. Instead of an explosion... Of it, instead of an explosion of angry binary or an immediate attack, the awkward silence was broken by a second voice exploding into laughter. It wasn't exactly happy laughter, it had a definite hysterical edge to it, and went on far longer than Tink's comet had warranted. As we sat and waited for it to peter out, Sarge cut his comet and asked Twitch if he recognized the voice. Both of them agreed that the speaker was female and someone they'd met before, but couldn't pin it down. Sarge was on edge of interrupting and asking for some identification when the tech priest commanded the woman to cease her frivolity. This didn't go on very well. Go over very well. 
you know how some people argue like an old married couple and it's sort of cute to watch? Well, this wasn't anything like that. They argued well like two people who'd been stuck on a desert island for far too long, or one person in one damaged blender. It wasn't just awkward to listen to, it was actually a little scary. Weeks and months of pent-up venom poured out of a nearly incomprehensible tirade from the woman and the priest, countered with commands for silence and bursts of binary. It only got harder to listen to when the cogboy cut his comm and she left hers on. Now she was talking talking most of us recognized the woman's voice and as sergeant's order we followed the sound of the argument after a few blocks of walking we found a familiar guardswoman face gone crimson screaming at a senior looking tech priest they were standing in the middle of a half looted convenience store with a half dozen servitors forming a menacing looking ring around the woman nubby and twitch grabbed tank before he could anything stupid and sarge awkwardly cleared his throat so everyone surprised especially sarge as the argument came to a sudden halt our fearless leader was nearly knocked off his feet as the guards woman screamed his name and tackled him nubby took the picture while being tackled by a heavily armed and moderately attractive woman is surprising in its own right what really caught us off guard was the fact that she was crying See, we knew this guardswoman, both as a fellow passenger from the occurrence border and as one of the few survivors of a rather unsuccessful mission to purge some gene stealers. She was originally from some knobby regiment and had one of those 30-syllable names. We all called her Imi. Now, if any of us had been asked to describe Imi... I think it's, I think it's Amy. I don't think so. I, the I changes the pronunciation a little bit, I think. Yeah, but I think it's a pun. Mm. Because she has a gun oh, a, and, aim. I and see. aim. I see. Okay. That's that's, that's probably what, the dumb joke they were going that's, for. That's my, that's my, can, my headcanon, okay, and that's the correct now. Describe Amy with a views words like solid, professional, and dangerous to describe her. Never hysterical or weepy, or inclined to hug random non-coms. I mean, it was a commonly held belief that she'd saluted her own mother every night before bed, which, I mean, sort of made sense when you remember that her mother was a Lord General. Anyway, the point is that her breakdown was terrifying more than anything. Sarge disentangled himself and, as politely as possible, asked Amy why the hell she was here. Last any of us had heard, her team had been farther towards Talispace and had been one of the ones to go MIA. Nubby chimed in and pointed out that everyone had thought she was dead. Twitch suggested that maybe she was, and asked Fumble to check if she was a ghost. This triggered another round of hysterical giggling and got Twitch a hug of his own, which fucking terrified the demolitionist trooper. The reunion was brought to a halt when the tech priest rolled over to us with his servitor posse. In typical high-ranking cogboy fashion, he commanded everyone to shut up and take him to the shuttle. Our presence was not ideal, but could he made to serve the Omnissiah. This triggered another, another uh, shift from hysterical to furious in Amy. This time, we were in a better position to understand what was being said. The main thread of the argument seemed to be that the Magos had gotten everyone killed, refused to call for a pickup, and then gotten them stranded in an empty world for his bloody metal god. Amy was done serving the Omnissiah. For his part, the cogboy, who Sarge finally recognized as the Xenotech hunting Magos who'd been part of our expedition, turned his vocoder up to maximum volume and tried to counter each individual point. Why he was doing it was a mystery, because everything he said just made Amy angrier and convinced us the guy was a complete tool. The bullshit 
the bullshit about how his mission couldn't be jeopardized by bringing in unbelievers or how he's not responsible for the behavior of organics was bad enough. But the crowning moment was the tool of, of tool them was when he pointed at three familiar looking servitors and claimed that Amy's companions still retained the majority of bodily functions that neatly answered the question of where the Arbite and the clerics she'd been teamed up with had gotten to over the next few minutes, things degraded even further as tanks started needling the tech priest as well. Sarge was about to, about ready to step in and end the shouting match one way or the other when Twitch sidled up next to him in the quietest and calmest voice he could manage. Twitch told Sarge that these guys weren't the movement he'd spotted and he was fairly sure we were being watched. He asked if we could very casually start falling back to a more defensible position. Sarge looked around at the floor to ceiling windows on three of the walls around us and agreed that that might be a good idea. Employing the entirety of his acting talent, Sarge announced that some fresh air might calm everyone down. Nubby took the hint and grabbed Amy while Sarge tried to shivvy the Magos out of the shop. And when that didn't work, he just got behind the tech priest and started pushing until he got the point. Twitch, trying to keep his head from swimming like a nervous pigeons, set his eyes on a sturdy-looking garage and led the way. Twitch casually gave the hand signal as he walked. Tink correctly interpreted this as an order to send out his stealth drone, and Fumbles got the point after Nubby kicked him in the shin. The psyker swayed a little and tripped over a curb, but when we hauled him to his feet, he shook his head and muttered about everything looking clear. At the back of the group, the shouting match continued, even though Amy's heart obviously wasn't in it anymore. She'd picked up on what was happening, and everyone could tell she was trying to hide the fact that she was terrified. The only people that were oblivious to the change of the atmosphere were the tech priests. The Magos had really started picking up steam now that Amy was distracted. He was loudly bad-mouthing just about everyone and made it very hard to concentrate on looking casual. We'd reached the edge of the garage when Tink made a sort of high-pitched wheezing sound and went pale. Everyone took the hint and started power-walking towards the opening. Well, almost everyone. At the back of the group, the Magos and his servitors had come to a halt, and the tech priest was in full monologue mode. He stood there, stock still, and surrounded by his herd of servitors, and loudly declared his genius, devotion, and general craziness to the rest of the world. As he entered the safety of the garage, Sarge glanced back at the Magos, then a tank, who shook his head violently. Sarge sighed, grabbed a smoke grenade, and chucked it at the Magos' feet at the same exact moment the sniper fired. A shot was perfectly aimed. A nearly invisible lasbeam <clears throat> came in at the Magos' eye level. It would have been a clean kill if he hadn't had a refractor shield. There was a blinding flash with a beam at the shield, and the tech priest started screaming orders at his servitors. Now that the charade was over, Sarge asked for a sit rep <laughs> as everyone got their weapons ready. Tinka claimed there were two hostiles wearing some sort of stealth suits and carrying rifles. Neither of them had line of sight inside the garage. Their stealth was damned good, so there were probably more he hadn't spotted, but they either couldn't hit us or were all focusing on the Magos. Speaking of the Magos, he'd apparently decided not to come join us in our cover and had hunkered down in the smoke with his servitors. The six meat puppets had formed a sort of wall around him and were firing an indiscriminate barrage into the surrounding area. It didn't look like they had any real idea of where the snipers were, and as we watched, two of the servitors went down to incredibly well-placed shots. Our desire to go out there and help him dropped very sharply, and all of us familiar with sniper and counter-sniper tactics, to be sure. Tink was told to continue sweeping for hostiles, and Fumbles was ordered to do likewise. The theory was that once we had the location, we could lay down suppressing fire or start flanking them. Until we knew where all the snipers were, even if none of them had shot at us yet, we were effectively pinned. Unfortunately, something about these hostiles had Fumbles stumped. He could barely even locate the ones Tink had spotted. The little guy gritted his teeth and pumped more psych into his detection field, but we all felt a wave of despair for him as he only succeeded in covering himself 
in a painful sheet of static electricity. Outside, another servitor dropped to a headshot, and the Magos started yelling at us to hurry up and help him. It was officially time to either shit or get off the pot. In the current rate, the Magos was going to be dead. And at the current rate, the Magos was going to be dead before we all had the snipers localized. The more pragmatic members of the squad pointed out that this wasn't such a bad thing and suggested we just run for the shuttle while he drew fire. But Sarge vetoed this perfectly valid plan. At his order, everyone popped smoke and split into two teams. Sarge, Amy, and Twitch pushed out and started laying suppressing fire and grenades onto the two rough locations Tank had given them. Tank and Nubby and Fumbles went out the back to try to flank the sniper between us and the shuttle. Meanwhile, Jim ordered his three skulls to help the drone research or the drone search the area and warmed up to the shuttle's and short warmed up the shuttle's perimeter defenses and relayed the situation to the ship. Everything started out so well; two snipers immediately stopped firing. Tink managed to spot a third and put a plasma bolt through the bastard's cover, and our flankers were almost in position. It really looked like we were going to be able to neutralize the hostile, or at least get the Magos to start and start a nice orderly retreat. Then two things happened, and everything went to shit. At first, we thought the snipers had popped smokes of their own and were falling back. The buildings they were hold, in, hold up in were sort of hazy and vague, but the fog didn't drift, and a second later, the snipers resumed firing from inside the cloud. Another servitor went down, and Twitch's grenade detonated in mid-arc. Fumble screamed, Psyker! At the exact moment, the last cannon fired. Last cannon really isn't the right word, but damned if we couldn't think of a better one. A last cannon typically fires a large, powerful beam, lar- very large, powerful beam, and brief beam. This thing was barely larger than a multi-laser and walked in a brief arc across the battlefield. It sliced through everything it touched: walls, lampposts, the car Sarge was hiding behind, servitors, and tag priests. Sarge laid there for a second, trying to blink away the purple afterimages and get his bearings. He was lying on the ground and was also apparently inside of a car. He looked outside of the side window, which was oddly level with his head, and saw some red crobe spider monster flailing towards him. Sarge tried to turn his las gun towards the new threat, but it was wedged against the roof of the car. He futilely pushed at the roof with his hands, then his legs, as the spider thing inched closer on its metal legs. At the last second, a pair of hair-thin beams stabbed into the spider and fell to the ground. Sarge breathed a sigh of relief, which turned into a choked scream when something tightened across his throat. Twitch hauled Sarge out from the decapitated car by the collar. It was an impressive feat given their relative sizes and the unhelpful way the big man was flailing around. The servitors were scragged. Those last sniper shots seemed to have finished off the cog boy. There was no telling what the psyker or the las cannon would do next. In his professional opinion, it was time to live to fight another day. Twitch hit Sarge with his emergency stem while Amy popped her last smoke. Under its cover, they half-carried Sarge back to the relative safety of the garage. Once inside, Amy kept her long las, trained on the smoke-filled entrance while Twitch tried to fill everyone in on the situation. Before he got two words out, the last cannon cut through the entire building at shoulder height. The flanking team was having better luck, all things considered. Jim's skulls were hounding the sniper Tink had flushed out, and Fumbles had a rough bead on the enemy psyker. Tink sent his drone to get the exact position and charged up his plasma gun while Nubby and Fumbles poured last fire and psychic shrieks into the clouds, concealing the two active snipers. Their accuracy was abysmal, but the angle of their attack and sheer volume of fire was enough to force the hostiles to rebase. None of them realized how bad the situation had gotten until they heard Twitch's warning get cut off by the second last cannon strike. In an uncharacteristic act of bravery, Nubby led the charge back towards the garage, taking Fumbles with him and leaving Tink on overwatch. 
Jim diverted his Medis cult to follow them, then sent the rest of his minions to find the last cannon before it could fire again. They found the building teetering alarmingly, but still upright, and the Sarge standing in the middle, barking at the other two troopers to get back on their damn feet. Back in the garage, Sarge was dealing with a minor mutiny. He was of the opinion that Magos was still alive, and a pickup needed to be made. Twitch and Amy very much disagreed. Numby got to the door just in time to hear the non-com shout that the Magos was still moving and could be saved if they hurried. Amy countered this argument by hefting her long lads and putting a hot shot through the head of the twitching tech priest. Further debate was delayed by the roof caving in. There's nothing like a few tons of collapsing stone to motivate a hasty retreat. Nubby, as usual, let her sprint back to Twitch's position with a stimmed up Sarge hard on his heels and the rest of the group trailing behind. None of us even registered Jim's question over the comms. As we regrouped, Tink's drone finally found his target. A large blob of overcharged plasma sailed across the plaza into a little restaurant. Instead of just burning through the building, it splashed against something with the in the back with a crackling explosion. Tink cheered then swore, then yelled something about tackle and burst into laughter. Twitch barely managed to pull him down in time. A s- the sniper's shot cut a neat little notch out of the techie's helmet. None of us wanted to, to start this shit again. Fumbles threw up a half-assed cloak, and we all started falling back towards the shuttle in Paris. Now that we knew what to look for, we could see three indistinct blurs poking in and out of cover. We did our best to return fire as we ran, but the buggers had nerves of steel. For every ten shots we put down range, they returned one red, incredibly well-aimed one. Only the combination of our cover, Fumble's cloak, and a huge amount of suppressive fire kept us alive. That's not to say we didn't. We got out of there unscathed. Those hair-thin last bolts nailed everyone at least once. If you stuck a toe outside of cover, they'd shoot it, and they didn't. And if you didn't, they'd try to punch a shot right through. The only one of the only one of us who managed to score a hit on them was Amy. And the second time she tried to line up a shot, her long last exploded in her hands as they shot down the barrel. Stopping and wailing stopping and waiting for Jim's Mediscal, which had gone emperor nowhere during the retreat, was out of the question. So Sarge wound up popping another stim and carrying her on for the last sprint to the shuttle. We all felt tremendous relief when the shuttle's multi-lasers finally forced snipers to back off. The difference in attitude when t- between Tank and the rest of us when the last cannon took out our tail engine was profound. While everyone else screamed and clutched at the safety handles or prayed to the Emperor, he let out a whoop of joy and ran to the ra- jammed ramp. A few sniper beams sailed past him and were ignored in favor of a small tan shape, which now that our speed had been cut in half was steadily growing larger. Tink cooed at the damn thing like a puppy, which is admittedly better than the girlfriend, but still. As it closed the last dozen meters, he spread his arms wide and tried to catch it, only to be knocked off his feet as a smaller and faster object sailed through. The drone followed a second later and slammed it to Twitch, who had been hiding for deal life in a far corner. Tink sat up and groped at the object that had knocked him on his ass. He raised two blood-covered hands, registered that he was holding a severed head attached to a metaskull, and started screaming. Jim appeared in the hatch leading to the cockpit and asked if the Magos had made it aboard. The cogboy had barely managed to wrench the, wrench the gory thing away from Tink before it was chucked back out into the tail hatch. Jim held the Magos' head up like some sort of trophy and turned to face Sarge with a rather proud expression on his face. Unfortunately, our barely conscious leader wasn't able to offer any suitable praise. All he managed was a bleary, Who's flying the shuttle? 
Jim swore and ran back to the cockpit, barely managing to dodge the next last cannon beam. Thankfully, that was the last shot. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief and slumped into their seats. Well, more of a gasp of relief, we were all pretty out of breath, and our ears were hurting for some reason. Tink eyed all the holes in the cargo bay and kicked the rest of us to our feet. We round up packing seven people, and for some damn reason, the drone into the two-man cockpit. It wasn't comfortable, but at least there was air. Uh, let's, oh, I just closed the tab. One second here. <clears throat> you son of a bitch. So that's between all the sweating. If you want to just right, control it. Between all the so sweating, bleeding yep. people, the mangoes of severed head, and Nubby's uniquely indescribable odor, that cockpit was getting pretty, pretty manky. I've never heard the word manky. Is manky. that a real that's word? A, get a that's fact a Pokemon. That. That's a Pokemon. <clears throat> It was getting pretty manky by the time we reached the occurrence border. As soon as the bay was pressurized, we piled out and collapsed on the first available surface. The ship's air... Yes, it is a real word. Okay, damn. Crazy British people. The ship's air, which always smelled faintly of burnt cabbage, had never tasted so sweet. The Hospitaller and her minions were waiting for us in the docking bay, along with a disconcertingly high number of tech priests. Thinking fast not hard. Tink jammed the techno-heretical drone up the front of his shirt, which made him look pregnant and caused a fair bit of amusement among the orderlies. None of the cogboys seemed to notice, and after they'd taken possession of the Magos' head for data extraction, they'd said, all of them left without incident. Sarge tried to follow them, but only got a few meters before the Hospitaller neatly tripped him onto a gurney. The incredibly fluffy pillow defeated any further attempts to refuse treatment. While the burns Amy had received when her long lads exploded got the most attention, all of us wound up getting hauled to the med bay one way or another by Doc's Valkyrian girlfriend. Well, except for Jim, who tagged along with the other tech priests to keep an eye on his his sample, trophy, rescue, e whatever the hell you called the head your mediskull had sawed off the still warm body of its patient. Seriously, that right there is why no one trusts those fucking things. Anyways, anyone ex- everyone except Sarge is stuck in the mud, the mud, the mud bay, the med bay for a while. It's like Among Us. It's like the med bay from Among Us, guys. You get it? Like Among Us, like uh, like 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 Fortnite imposters. Despite their size, the sniper beams had been just <laughs> as nasty so as any last guns. <laughs> And it was surprising how many holes we had in us. Sorry no, you don't get to just it. fucking read after dropping that psychotic bomb on me, you motherfucker. Like, like Fortnite Among Us? <laughs> I hate you so much. Why? Right. Just All talking right. about Fortnite Among Us. Uh, What's the problem? Fine, finish your fucking reading, you little bitch. No, I want to know. I know. I want to know what the problem is. Fortnite Among Us, my ball sack, you, you manky. <laughs> I like the Pokemon. <laughs> like the Pokemon. Oh, I lost my spot. Fuck. Despite their size, the sniper beams have been just as nasty as any lads guns, and it was surprising how many holes we had in us. Sarge was set loose after a basic patch job and yet another stimulant, thankfully not a combat one this time, to go talk with the adepts and other interrogators. Doc made him promise not to to co- made, Doc made him promise to come back for a complete round of treatment the second the situation was resolved. Speaking of Doc, he was rather happy to see us all again. Nubby filled him in on the basics of what had happened, with twitch and fumbles correcting the occasional exaggeration. Doc was as surprised as the rest, uh, 
as had been when we got to the part about running into Amy and the Magos. He wheeled over to where she was being treated by the hospitologist to verify we weren't bullshitting him. In a semi-professional medical opinion, she was in for a rough few days as they speed grew the skin on her face and arms. <laughs> she would recover without much scarring or needing any augmentics. He claimed his girlfriend had a lot of experience treating burns. Something about working with trainee, uh, trainee dominions. While the rest of us chatted with Doc, Tank had pulled the screen around his bed and threat loudly threatened to shoot anyone who looked inside. Occasionally, the nurses would look up as the, look up at the loud clanging sounds and the "do not disturb" sign, then start giggling. When the humor of the situation wore off and the noise started to get really annoying, we steeled our nerves and went to see just what he was doing in there. We found Tank with the drone between his legs, but thankfully his pants were on. He was trying to pop out an impressive dent in the front of Spot's chassis. When asked how it happened, he reminded us that the enemy psyker he'd taken out used it as some sort of shield to deflect his plasma bolt, and it looked like it was about to launch in its own attack. So he'd had Spot ram the bastard. It it's hard to cast spells when 50 kilos of angry drone is bashing your head in. Turns out the Psyker had one hell of a helmet, though, hence the dent. Still, it convinced the warpy bastard that it was time to fall back, so he was calling it a win. Doc, who had been eyeing the large lens next to the dent, cut into the story at this point and asked if that meant he had a clear picture of the attackers. Tink shrugged and admitted that he probably did, but so did the adepts who had been watching the feed. They'd get around to telling us who it was eventually, and he was the only one who could fix his dent, so his priorities were clear. The rest of us were a little bit more curious, so Nubby yanked the spanner out of Tink's hands, refused to give it back until he pulled the vid of the ramming. After a little fast-forwarding, he found it, and everyone crowded around the data slate. We were treated to a view of a small room with a blurry figure standing in the middle of it and gesturing. As we watched, the blur was replaced by a large circular shield, and the screen went blindingly bright. When the flash faded, there was a tall robed figure with a sword and an egg-shaped helmet standing there panting. He raised his sword, gathered some sort of lightning around it, and the drone hit him right in the back of his stupid hat. Oh. Other inquisitorial agents might have sat there and carefully examined the psyker's robes or weapon for clues. We just kept having Tink rewind it so we could see the headbutt again. When he got the sound turned on, it made the great sort of hollow clang every time the drone hit him. Here, I, I've got it right here. That's not there a was, clang, that's a bonk. Thank you. <laughs> that that really had the tinny the tinny sound that I needed, you know what I mean? There was much debate over which was the best part. The initial impact of the part where his head went through the drywall and got stuck. Either way, it was the best show we'd seen in for fucking ever. We wound up putting the video on repeat on all the screens in the med bay. It was very therapeutic to see the bastard flailing his fancy sword around an attempt to fend off the drone and cut his head free at the same time. At Twitch's urging, Tink even etched a little egg-helmeted face on the side of Spot's chassis to commemorate the event. Everyone was in remarkably good spirits, considering we were stuck in the med bay for the foreseeable future. Well, except for Amy, who was still tranked up to the to the nose for the worst part of her burn treatment. Bumbles tried to send her a mental image of the whole thing as she slept, but well, Doc made him stop after a nearby diagnostic cogitator caught on fire. <laughs> While the rest of us were laughing ourselves sick over the Inquisition's funniest home videos, Sarge was attending a very serious meeting with some very, very serious people. You could tell they were serious because none of them even smiled when the adepts played the drone ramming clip for them. They just muttered to each other about which craft world the Eldar Warlock had come from and what possible hand they could have over and everything. Sarge primarily contributed to this discussion by resting his head on the table and agreeing with anything our team's adepts said in response. 
In Sarge's opinion, the other two interrogators were putting way too much effort in trying to understand the Elder's motives. They'd gone through the vid from Tink's drone and Jim's skulls frame by frame and determined that there'd been a warlock, three rangers, and some sort of heavy weapon operating a bright lance. There was a little debate on that last point, since all of Jim's drones had been shot before they could get a really good picture. Neither of the other teams had run into any hostiles, and they hadn't spotted anything when they'd done a flyby of the island, so it looks like that was it for their ground assets. Sword Guy half-heartedly suggested that the Eldar could be behind the disappearances. They were Xenos with access to the warp powers and Archaeotech, after all. He didn't press the issue when Sarge grumpily asked why they hadn't used their creepy silhouette leaving people disappear, er, instead of shooting us with fancy las guns. Battleaxe claimed that the small size of their force suggested that they were an assassination team. Given their attack pattern location and the fact that no one else of importance was nearby, their target must have been the Magos. From his spot on the end of the table, Sarge grumbled that he'd told everyone the Xenos had been trying to kill the tech priest an hour ago. Battleaxe ignored him and pointed out the real question that the real question was whether this was connected to the disappearances or if it, and if it was because the Magos had known something. Rather annoyed at having been ignored, Sarge sarcastically suggested that they ask the Magos that question. To his considerable surprise, everyone took this seriously, with Sword Guy even asking a psyker if he was capable of leading a seance. The wow. debate over whether or not the ritual was likely was more likely to result in useful information or a demon manifestation was still raging when the tech priests arrived. Just saying that they arrived just doesn't do it justice. Every single cogboy over the rank of engine seer on the occurrence border walked, rolled, floated, or slithered into the meeting room. The ratio of metal to meat in there hit 50-50 in the first few seconds, and climbing toward... <laughs> See, I had I had to hold myself from laughing when they said pegged earlier. <laughs> this just killed. I me. know. I heard. I heard you. I heard you like make a noise when you read pegged, and I was like, "Oh Lord, oh Lord <laughs> Almighty, oh Lord Almighty." Yeah, I'll, bet, I'll bet when all the fucking. Battle sisters <laughs> brought their strap-ons. The metal to meet went fifty-fifty. <laughs> I was good. I was trying to come them. up with a like, like a like a wow. There's more metal to meet there than a joke, but I couldn't come up with. I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 Sergio. What's so funny, Sergio? What's so funny about metal to meat? What's so funny, Sergio? What's so funny about metal to meat, huh? I'm gonna put my meat in your metal if you shut the fuck up. <laughs> I don't know what don't that means. Don't stick your dick in his muffler, you motherfucker. What's wrong with you? See, it'd be funnier if you Sergio, had braces. You... Okay. I'm good. <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't have braces, Sergio. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What the fuck do you want me 50, to do? He's going to suck his dick, I think, is what he's getting at. He really, really, in really wants you to suck his dick right now. Hit 50 50 in the first few seconds and climbing towards 80 20 when Jim brought up the rear of the procession. God! <laughs> Sergio! Sarge took notice of how nervous the younger cog boy looked. <laughs> 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 I wonder why 
why he looks nervous. As an huh? order for the senior tech priest, he sealed the door behind them. It just keeps getting more sexual. Stop laughing. What the fuck happened? <laughs> it occurred to the burly knob non-com that if a bunch of guardsmen had done something like this it would have been because some officer was about to become a friendly fire statistic sarge <laughs> oh my sarge. god he's a fucking landmine now he just steps on something and he goes off Sarge edged his chair away from the table and towards the most defensible corner he could find and casually put one hand in his pocket. Oh no, he's jerking off! One, no one except Jim paid him any attention. The The chair had leaned out from behind his seniors and awkwardly tried to indicate that this was not the time to pull out a grenade. No, you gotta pull out. Or possibly... That his neck hurt, and he wanted to lie down for a while. Jib was bad at guard hand signals. After a bit of unpleasant silence, the coggiest of the cog boys finally decided that the tension had built up to acceptable levels. In a loud, authoritative, and entirely synthetic voice, he proclaimed that a, se- a seance would not be necessary. They'd extracted all relevant data from the Magos' eidetic memory chip. He just sort of stopped there with no explanation of what the data actually was, leaving the non-metallic portion of the room awkwardly waiting. The second battle axe began to ask. The head tech priest cut her off with a shout of, That information is sacred. It contains Mechanicus' secrets. Sharing it with those who do not venerate the Omnissiah in his true form would be heretical. The cog boys behind him echoed the words, sacred, secrets, and heretical like shitty backup singers. Sarge let out a weary sigh and rubbed his anking temples. It was going to be a long meeting. That's really funny. And that's And that's where we're cutting it off, right? Cutting yes. you off. At the end of the of the the edging and the the the, the ratio to meat to metal, Sergio, don't jerk off. You need to come. Your mind's in the gutter, bro. <laughs> Thank you for holding off until we finish recording. But Jesus yes. Christ, man! I know that that chick in the yoga pants did a number on Sergio. Jesus Christ, he's been he's been gone. Jesus Christ, he's gone. Uh, I don't know why that was getting to me, but it was it was funny. <laughs> I guess it it was funny, I will admit. But we'll see you, audience, next time on All Guardsmen Party.